Good evening. Welcome again to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. And if you have your copy of God's Word, please open with us to the Gospel according to Mark chapter number 10. And we're going to begin reading this evening in verse number 13 and read down through verse number 31. Before we read, let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we, we have just sung it, the truth that in our hands no price we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. It's all we have, Lord. Have nothing to offer you. We are sinful people since the fall as we sang since the fall we cannot uh, cannot accomplish anything that uh, would bring favor for ourselves all we can do is trust in our lord jesus christ and i pray that you would cause us to see that tonight as we look at this passage of scripture may we see that there's only one way into the kingdom of God. And that's through the miraculous new birth. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Based on his work on Calvary. In bearing our sins in his body. Dying for us on the cross. Rising again. And giving us an eternal salvation that is complete in Him. We ask you to bless these uh, these thoughts tonight as we look into your Word. Ex uh, help us to expound your Word, to open it up and cause it mm -hmm. to open before our eyes and our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Let's begin in verse number 13. I think I said that I would start in verse 17, but let's start in verse 13 because it's important that we do so. And they, they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me. And forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. That's important. Of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child or like a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do 
that I may inherit eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that's God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast. Give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying. And went away grieved. For he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches? To enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. Saying among themselves. Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men, it's impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Well, in the first eight chapters, the, the first eight chapters of the book of, or the uh, gospel according to Mark, uh, basically take place in Galilee, and they focus on Jesus' early ministry, and basically the question that comes out of those first eight chapters is, who is Jesus? And, of course, Mark starts his gospel off uh, with an answer to that question, that he is uh, the Son of God. And, uh, and then we have read in uh, 
chapter 8, how that Peter uh, gave the wonderful confession that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the prophets. And, uh, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And they said, or Peter said, thou art the Christ. And the Christ, of course, is the Messiah. And so the answer to the question that uh, we focus on in the first eight chapters, who is Jesus? He is the Messiah. He has announced that the king, the kingdom of God has come. It's at hand. And uh, so he is the Messiah, the one that Israel has awaited and looked for, the ones that the prophets have testified about and foretold and the ones that uh, the people of God were looking and there was still a remnant even though for 400 years until John the Baptist from Malachi the end of Malachi until John the Baptist cried in the wilderness 400 years of silence from heaven was still a remnant of people that were awaiting the Messiah and when Mary brought baby Jesus up to the temple to do what was commanded for him, they were to offer an offering for that baby. And then he was to be circumcised after eight days. And, and so all those things to fulfill the law were being done. And when they got there, was, there was a man by the name of Simeon. He'd been waiting for Jesus. Been waiting for the Messiah. And he recognized him because the Holy Spirit prompted him to go in. He took him in his arms. He said, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Well, isn't, that, isn't that wonderful stuff? Could, wouldn't you love to have just been looking at that and beholding it? And, but we can see it very clearly through the Word, can't we? I mean, the, the, the way the word of God is written and the way the Holy Spirit shines light on it, you can almost transport yourself back there and, and see the joy in his face mm -hmm. and the quiver in his voice. And then, of course, there was a, a woman there who also was awaiting the coming of the Messiah. So there was a a, a, uh, a remnant that was awaiting the Messiah. And this was Jesus. He is the Messiah. Then in the next eight chapters, going up to Jerusalem, he, uh, the next eight chapters uh, actually take place uh, in the area of Judea, in and around Jerusalem. And as he goes, uh, uh, makes his way to Jerusalem, there is a, another question that comes to mind. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? What does it mean for him to be the Messiah? He is the Messiah. What does it mean? It means that he's going to go to Jerusalem where he is going to be rejected, where he's going to be arrested, where he's going to be beaten and mocked and abused and put to death 
and, uh, and then rise from the dead on the third day. That's what it means. But, and Jesus has been spelling this out to his disciples now all this time, but they didn't understand it. And uh, they didn't want to pursue it. They didn't want to think about that because they were concerned with much more pressing matters. Weren't they? Remember what they were concerned about? They were concerned about the question of who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who is the greatest? And so Jesus begins to speak to them in chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. He teaches them about true greatness. And he gives a visual illustration. He takes a small child, sets him in their midst, and says, you have to receive me like a little child. When you receive the little child, you're receiving me. And when you're receiving me, you're not just receiving me, you're receiving the one that sent me. And Jesus teaches his disciples that, the, to, that to these kind of people, the kingdom of God belongs. Now, we're not saying that uh, the, to these people the kingdom of God belongs, but to people of this kind, people that are childlike, people who are like a little child. What does that mean? What does it mean? We talked about it last Sunday. It means without position, without possessions, without power. Remember how we talked about their utter helplessness without learning? They have nothing to offer Jesus. Now, this is important. It's important. Jesus is making a point here. These little children have nothing but themselves to offer to Jesus. Their list of assets and abilities and personal worth <laughs> is a blank page. Because, and it doesn't even have a zero on it. That's how, that's how empty it is. They have nothing, nothing to offer not even a zero. As we just sang in that uh, wonderful hymn by Augustus Toplady, uh, In my hands no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's the way it is. We have nothing to offer. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says we must receive him like a little child. We must enter the kingdom like a little child. The kingdom belongs to childlike people who have no power, no authority, nothing of their own, just Jesus. You have to receive him like a child. You have to be humble like a child. And he said, if you offend one of these little children, in uh, uh, verse 42 of chapter 9, if you offend one of these little children, it'd be better if a millstone were hung about your neck and you were cast into the depths of the sea. Offend means to cause one to stumble out of the way. 
one of those little ones that believe in him. But apparently the disciples weren't getting it, just like they weren't getting other things, if you'll notice. And so in chapter 10, we come upon a, a test. Now he's just said all this about children, right? In chapter number 10, in chapter number 9, in chapter uh, uh, number 10, we come to verse number 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, shouldn't they have said, now Jesus said that the kingdom is... Uh, uh, it belongs to childlike people and, and we have to be like little children to enter the kingdom. If we don't, we can't even enter the kingdom. And, and so here's a, a big crowd of people and things are hectic anyway. And on top of that, people are bringing kids. We don't have time for kids. Doesn't it, doesn't it look like somebody would have said, wait a minute. Remember what Jesus had been teaching us? <laughs> How should we react to these children? But nobody did. And they rebuked. They rebuked those that brought the children. And Jesus saw it and he was indignant. He was upset and angry. And he said to them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of God. He says it again. He's drumming it in. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. That's very important to our study tonight. That verse right there, verse 50. You ought to underline it, circle it, or something. Highlight it. And he took them, the little children, he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And when he was gone forth into the way. So he goes out of the house into the street. And there came one running. And kneeled to him. And asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so we've come to the... Uh, the encounter with a rich young man. Matthew says that he's young. Luke says that he's a ruler. All three of the evangelists uh, tell us that he was rich. And so this is uh, what we normally call the rich young ruler. And this was a, a young man. He was a man who... Uh, uh, apparently had some sort of position of authority. Maybe he was a ruler in a synagogue, uh, and uh, but he was a rich man. And so he comes running and kneels to Jesus. Now, I've got uh, uh, four points that I want to uh, share with you about this, and they're alliterated, so they should be easy to remember. First of all, we want to notice the motive of the seeker. And then we want to talk about the mistake of the sinner. And we will talk about the method of the Savior. 
And then we'll talk about the miracle of salvation. You're proud of me for getting all that alliterated. So the motive of the seeker, why did this young man come to Jesus in such an urgent manner? He seems so sincere, doesn't he? I mean, can you imagine if someone came into our services like that and came running in and said, please, I want to know how to be saved. I want to know how to obtain eternal life. Can somebody tell me right now? Well, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? And, and I wonder how we would respond. It would be pretty hard to not just say, well, kneel down right here and repeat after me. <laughs> but, uh, of course, we wouldn't do that. But, uh, I mean, that's the average church. That's exactly what they would do. And if, uh, if he was, uh, if they were able to discern that he was a rich man, then for sure, the next thing you know, he would be on the deacon board. <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, this is... Uh, 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 this is a uh, highly unusual and volatile situation. So he seems so sincere. He came running. He came running to Jesus. It was urgent on his mind. And he knelt before him. Not uh, saying that he was worshiping, but he did kneel in at least a... Uh, a, a uh, sense of giving honor to Jesus or uh, uh, honoring Jesus in that way. But uh, then he addressed Jesus with a great title of respect. Good master, he said. Good master. What must I do? What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so what he wants is some assurance that he will go to heaven when he dies, that, he's, that everything is all right. But his question, he seems sincere, as I've already said, but his question reveals something about his heart, doesn't it? Because He's not like those people in John chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I think there was like three of them uh, or so that came to Jesus and said, We will follow you. I will follow you wheresoever you go. And Jesus said, Well, the birds have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another one said, I I'll follow you. And... Uh, he said, but let me go and bury my father first. And Jesus said, well, you know, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And so he's not like these people that came and said, we want to follow you. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to make you, I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Messiah. He didn't even use the terminology of Messiah. He didn't call him the son of David. He didn't use any of that terminology at all. He just said, good master. Good master. And he uses 
a tense. He asked, what can I do <coughs> to inherit eternal life? And he uses a tense that emphasizes a one-time gift or deed. In other words, I'd like to do something. I wish you'd tell me something I can do. Something I can add on to my portfolio that will ensure that I have eternal life. Now you say, well, I don't know if you, I think you may be re reading something into that. Okay, look what, what uh, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and, and this is Matthew's uh, telling of the same incident in verse number 16. Matthew 19. Excuse me. <coughs> and behold, verse 16, Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he's, he's got this mentality that if I could, if you could just tell me one thing that I could do, maybe he is uh, being a rich man. Maybe he has been conditioned by all the religious people to tell him, you know, if you would uh, 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 give a certain amount of money, uh, then, uh, you know, it would make you right with God. God would be pleased with you. As a matter of fact, in our society today, you, he could go into many churches and that'd be the first thing they'd say. If you will give your money to our ministry, then that's going to that's gonna give you a leg up on eternal life. But uh, that's all he's wanting. Just something to soothe his conscience. And he's... And, and the funny thing about it is that in just a few more sentences, he's going to profess that he has kept the law from his youth up. As a matter of fact, the term he uses is that he has enthusiastically kept the law from his youth. But he still didn't have any assurance, did he? Because he's coming to try to find something else. You see, the Pharisees had probably had him convinced, had him convinced that he was really keeping the law because they had uh, uh, added so many things to the law, the oral traditions and things, and they didn't make the law harder. What they made was the law to seem like it was achievable. You know, these washings that they did and things like that. We, you know, you can do that. And so what they were doing is not lifting the standard high, but they were lowering the standard and trying to make it appear that you could do it. And they had, they had deceived him in this way. <coughs> But his heart was telling him it's not enough. So, 
we see the motive of the seeker. We see also the mistake of the senator. Of the senator. Senator. Sinner, senator. He is. He is. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. But he's mistaken about. He's mistaken about the Savior. Notice the conversation. He says, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that's God. Now what do you think Jesus is doing here? Do you think Jesus is saying, you know, there, why are you calling me good? There's only one good, and that's God, and, I, and I'm not God, so... You think that's what Jesus is doing? I don't think so. And I think that uh, I think that a lot of people actually believe that. I, uh, and one of the reasons, you know, I was telling you when the Twombleys was here, uh, when the Twombleys were here, that uh, that one of the best things that missionaries can do now is to go into underreached areas, not necessarily i mean yes we should go to the unreached but we should also go to the underreached areas where people are being uh, are are preaching but they don't know what they're preaching they don't know the truth i was in mexico in uh, santa maria kiagolani uh, and there's one christian there and he and his wife they had a little room that they gathered people in uh, and he would uh, teach them Bible lessons, and he did the very best he could. But we were out visiting one evening, and uh, and we were talking to a uh, a man in the community, and uh, the conversation came around to uh, being uh, uh, sinless and all that, and how that we were all sinners, and and this preacher, this. This professing Christian said, well, even Jesus said he wasn't good. I said, oh, listen, brother, that's not what Jesus said at all. What Jesus is saying here is that there is none good except God. And the proper response of this young man would have been to say, yes, it's true, there's none good but one, and that's God, and I believe that you are God incarnate in flesh. That's the proper response. But his actual response was, in verse 20, he answered and said unto him, Master, you notice he dropped off the good. Did you notice that? And the reason he drops off the good is because he believes Jesus is a great man. He believes Jesus is a great teacher. He believes Jesus is a miracle worker. He believes that Jesus is one who knows how to obtain eternal life. But he doesn't believe he's God. Verse 
Why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. How far are you willing to go with this thing about good? You see, what he's doing is he's exposing this young man's ignorance. He's exposing his unbelief. He's not only mistaken about who Jesus is, but he is mistaken about salvation. You see, Jesus, Jesus said to him, Thou knowest the commandments, verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, and I uh, assume that that uh, takes the place of, uh, of uh, covetousness. Thou shalt not covet because he's uh, saying that you shouldn't uh, uh, defraud your neighbor and uh, take his stuff because you want it and he's got it. And honor thy father and mother. Now these, if you'll notice, these laws are part of the uh, Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And these are the ones that deal with man's relationship to man, right? So uh, the first four commandments deal with man's relationship to God. And then the last ones, the next section, starting with uh, honor your father and mother, uh, deal with man's relationship to man. As a matter of fact, uh, is it, uh, yes, yeah, Matthew, Matthew who adds in with this that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, Jesus is telling him this is that part of the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Do this, do this. And he said, Master, I've Diligently, I have, I have uh, uh, joyously, fervently kept these from my youth. Now, Jesus didn't call him out on it, did he? But he could have, right? Because we know he didn't. He didn't keep them all, right? Do you imagine when he was out playing with his friends and his mom yelled for him to come in and take out the trash. He said, yes! Oh, boy! <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, he, he didn't honor his father and his mother like he should. He didn't. Uh, and, and, you know, when you throw in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about doing these things in our hearts, he would be very guilty. As a matter of fact, what Jesus is doing here is... Re is is pointing him to the law because it's the law, as Art just said a few moments ago, that shows us that we are sinners. It's the law that shows us the holiness of God. It is that high standard of holiness and perfection that only God can attain to and not one of us can reach even the, the bottom rung of the ladder. 
it's a high standard because when God gave the law, he did not give it for salvation. The law does not save. As we just sang in the song, it cannot justify. The law can only condemn. It's just like the traffic laws here in, in uh, Titusville. I may have used this illustration before, but you know, if you obey all the traffic laws in Titusville for the rest of your life, Wayne Ivey will not come and knock on your door and give you an award and say, good job. But I'll tell you what, you roll through one of these traffic lights out here. Because you see, the, these uh, laws are for lawbreakers. And we are lawbreakers. They show us our sin. The reason God gave this high standard of absolute perfection is so that the children of Israel, when they heard the law, they would go running to their flocks and get their best lamb and take it to the tabernacle and say to the priest, offer this in my stead. Because we can't attain to it. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's not telling him that if he does these things, he will be saved. What he's doing is he is holding up that high standard of righteousness. And the proper response of this young man would have said, woe is me, I'm undone. <laughs> but he didn't do that. Just like Israel didn't do it when Moses gave them the law, he, they said, whatever the Lord says, we'll do. He's mistaken about salvation. He thinks that he has done a pretty good job. This good thing that he's talking about, he doesn't just think Jesus is good. He thinks he's good. Well, I must have preached way ahead of myself. So let me see if I can catch up. So Jesus points him to the law. He should have seen himself honestly in the condemnation that the law brings to sinners. <coughs> As I said before, the Pharisees' tradition and additions to the law had made it seem as if God's perfect demands were achievable by human effort and misguided people like this poor young man. He wasn't just, he wasn't just wrong, he was deceived. And, uh, and this poor, misguided young man had bought it, hook, line, and sinker. But even so, he still knew. Down in his heart, there's something missing. I think when I was thinking about this, I thought about uh, uh, over in the book of Acts. Was it is it chapter nine where Stephen goes out to uh, uh, Gaza, and uh, there's an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot coming back from Jerusalem. He'd been to Jerusalem for a religious 
celebration. And he had been in the temple. He had been participating in all the religious stuff. Coming back, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he realizes there's something missing. In all the religion, all the good things that he'd experienced, there's still something missing in his heart. And that's just like this young man. And then, notice what the Bible said. Verse 21. Jesus beholding him, loved him. I love that, don't you? Jesus' heart is so wide and so tender. So loving that even this man with all of his, his lostness, his mistakenness, his misunderstanding, his unbelief, all of it, all of it, Jesus still loved him. And you know what you do when you, tell, when you love someone? You tell them the truth. Amen? Do y'all, did anybody say amen? amen? When you love someone, you tell them the truth. And so, here's what it says. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. One thing you're short of. Now, he came because he thought he had plenty he just wanted one thing to add but jesus said oh no you didn't come here to add anything you come here you came here to lose everything listen to what he said then jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him one thing thou lackest go thy way now he said one thing but then he names off six things what about that one thing thou lackest Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, that's four, take up the cross, five, and follow me. Five, six things. Six things. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. We're talking now about the method of the Savior. What's Jesus doing here? Is when he says one thing you lack and then he names off six things, what is he doing? Well, I would like to say that he is putting his finger on the real heart issue in this man's life. He is being specific to this man's problem. And let me tell you, this, I, I said this is the method of the Savior. This is how he works. If you come to Jesus for salvation, if you come sincerely seeking salvation, he will always put his finger on that area in your life that is most defining 
And if you walk away unsaved, just like this man, you'll know why. You get me? You get me? Because this guy knew exactly why he left lost. Remember the woman at the well? John chapter 4? Jesus did the same thing when he told her about that living water. She said, evermore give me this water. And Jesus said, go call your husband. <laughs> you know what he's doing? He's a gentleman, but you know what he's doing gently and compassionately? He's putting his finger on the area of sin that defined her life. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, you've said right because you've had five husbands and the one you've got now is not your husband. And unlike this young man, she didn't go away sorrowful. She left her water pot and went away shouting, come see a man that told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? This young man goes away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Now, I said this is specific to his life, but don't forget that Jesus has said the same thing to all of us. Luke chapter 14. You don't have to turn, just listen really closely as I read this. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27 and 33. Listen. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, so likewise Whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, if Jesus is just saying that to that one man, then you've got to tell me what verse number 33 of Luke 14 means. You say, well, is that, what's he saying? Is he saying that we have to, in order to be saved, in order to follow him, we have to give up everything that we have? We have to empty the bank account? Is that what he's saying? Get rid of all of our possessions? Is that what he's saying? That I think the way we're to take that is that we are to just sign over the title and let him decide what he takes. And what he leaves. So what is the one thing. That Jesus said this young man lacked. What is it that he lacked. It's this. Childlike. Simple. Utter dependence. And devotion to Jesus. That's what he lacked. Childlike, remember what we read, verse 15, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. 
And so then he shows us this man who has power. He has place, authority, reputation. He has uh, riches. And Jesus said, unless you're willing to turn your back on that, you cannot be my disciple. The emphasis here, I get this. I'm, I'm going to go just a tiny bit over and I'm not going to get through. But the emphasis here, even though the title of my sermon is how to obtain eternal life, the emphasis here is not how to get to heaven. The emphasis is in what won't get you to heaven. Your good works, your riches, your money, all your possessions will not get you to heaven. Luke chapter 16, this passage here, <coughs> beginning in verse number 19, where uh, there's a rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen, linen fares sumptuously every day. And uh, there's a beggar named Lazarus that's laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. Moreover, the Bible said the dogs come and licked his sores. The Bible said, but the beggar died and was buried and, the, uh, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell. He lift up his eyes, being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. You see the picture here is the rich man who had everything. Didn't get to go to heaven. But the poor man that had nothing. Went to heaven. So the point is not that we have to get rid of everything. But we've got to know that these things won't get us to heaven. And as Art was talking earlier, this, uh, uh, the, uh, in the morning uh, sermon, those rich people are to rejoice in their humiliation, in the fact that in order for them to be saved, they've got to be brought low. But the poor man can rejoice in his exaltation because when he comes as a poverty-stricken, empty-handed nobody, he's raised right up to the level with the rich man. Mm -hmm. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. Everything, we're going to find out this when we get to the rest of the chapter. Everything, every disaster that kicks all the props out from under us is his blessing on us. Allowing us to lean wholly on Him with no backup plan. Mm -hmm. Father, we pray that You would take these scattered words. I pray that they would be, that You would use them to illuminate us, to help us to understand truth. That we might live it for Your glory. In Jesus' name.